Today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm looking for a little validation here, okay? Do you ever have these random experiences in your life that are somehow stored in your memory? And then you think to yourself, why am I remembering this? Does anyone have this happen to them? All right, thank you. Well, I do, and one of those things like popped back into my mind. It was like third or fourth grade. And I remember that a different teacher came into our classroom and asked us a question. And I actually remember the question. The question was, how do you catch a cold? And not only do I remember the question, but I remember some of the answers my classmates gave, like, with a snowball and a baseball glove, with a frozen butterfly net, You catch a cold by putting Velcro on your mittens. Now, I remember sitting there thinking, there's got to be more to this question than the simple expected answer. And now looking back, I realize I'm sure they were testing for like abstract thinking or imagination or maybe gifted education. I'm not sure I did so well on that test. But for some odd reason, it stuck with me and I remember it. Now, as I read this little chunk, it's at the end of Matthew's gospel. There's another puzzling question for me, and it's this. How do you make disciples? I mean, imagine this, going out into the street corner, whether it's you or Jimmy Fallon, and asking that question. Hey, by the way, how do you make disciples? What do you think the response would be? What are you talking about? My friend told me the story of her brother weeks before his death from pancreatic cancer. He received a letter in the mail, a letter from a friend telling him that he was destined for hell unless he accepted Jesus as his personal savior. My friend's family is Jewish. Something tells me this is not the way to make disciples. I talked to someone just this Friday, and I mentioned to him I was a pastor, and he told me that he's really feeling sad and disappointed that his two grown children do not have faith. He said, we brought him up by the book. We went to church every Sunday. We participated in every faith milestone. Yet, my kids outwardly say that they don't believe in God. And this was really hard for him. How do we make disciples? 
What is Jesus asking of us here? I would venture to guess if you ask almost any pastor to reel off the details of their discipleship program, they would gladly do it. They'll tell you about worship and Bible studies and small groups. Some even have an order to this. And it may sound great, but what happens when this doesn't work? I think most pastors would honestly tell you that their biggest fear is that they will fail. They will make a mistake, and their well-laid plans will not be effective. Hmm. This doesn't hold out much hope for us as a church, does it? Yet the challenge, I think, is also the hope. And it lies in asking, who holds the power and authority? And what we hear today is those disciples who who were huddled around that mountain were not the ones that held the power. We know their stories. Jesus called them. They followed. There was fear. There was cowardice. There was skittishness. There was disbelief from them. Matthew is specific and tells us that there's only one. It brings us back to the missing one, Judas, one of the ones in the inner circle who betrayed Jesus. So it's apparent that this has not gone easy or or necessarily well for them. Matthew also tells that some were doubting. Jesus had died And now he comes back to them in this resurrected form. They're still stunned from all that has happened and scared for their own lives. And so in that moment, there was not consensus in belief or some kind of perfect faith. At that moment, they had no power, no prestige, no well-presented resume or five-point discipleship plans. They were simply huddled together And I bet hoping to hear a word of truth. And from that point of humility and humanness, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. Those disciples will not be bringing Jesus to other people that they meet. Jesus is already there. He is there with them and us day by day by day. And there lies the shift We don't exclusively hold the power and authority. God is already here and there in all places and in all people. And then maybe we can understand what Jesus is calling us to do. The essence of making disciples is not about a power that we can wield to draw lines, to exclude, to alienate or control But God's power, which is gifted to us 
and already present in people and creation. And so then we are called to receive it, to share it, to extend it, to notice it, to get it from other people. If we start there, that God is already present and active, we can never fail. We can simply trust and then have to readjust to come back to again, to turn again to what we are called to do and maybe most importantly, who we are called to be. Jesus says to that meek group of people, you are called to teach and obey and observe the things that I have shown you. There's a lot of teachers here today. You don't teach by just shoving information to people. You're in relationship. You have to know your audience, your students, your community to receive from them and impart to them. That is where teaching happens. Making disciples is about the daily things, extending and receiving hospitality, noticing God's presence in the actions of other people, teaching and learning and being present, listening to God living a life marked by God's power and authority, which has been gifted to us in baptism, and then to include and love and care for and hold fast. But the fear and power of this world hold us to think that we can control those things, that we will be judged by our effectiveness to show in numbers the impact of our work. That's what the world tells us. What Jesus is saying is instead of hearing this as a command or a demand of something that we need to do right and well, or we can do it all, instead we hear it as a promise that this power and authority is gifted to us. I attended a meeting this week and I met and listened to this pastor talk about what is happening in the east end of downtown right by the U.S. Bank Stadium. The church that he is called to serve is old and dying, yet they have this fascinating history of being a part of the city for many decades. And as they figure out what's ahead, they wanted to honor and learn from their past, but also realizing that they can't hold on to it. There's something new around the corner. And he said something profound in that meeting that I'm still thinking about. He said, our neighbors... And our partners have become the multiplier for us. Our neighbors and our partners have become the multipliers. He realized that as a church, they could not figure this out on their own. And through a lot of time and meetings and questions and discernments, the church will now use the city block in which it owns, not only to be a church, but also to build multi-use housing to be a shelter for homeless families, and to have community space there. Our neighbors and our partners are the multipliers. God uses people, communities, to extend his love and unifying power. I wonder if this is what making disciples is all about. 
where we trust that God is already there and present for us to discover, to find that plentiful harvest, to join others in waiting to be reaped in our shared work and mission. We don't come then with pat answers, with it already figured out, but rather with questions and eagerness to learn and discover and to know that God is there with us. It's not easy work. It takes patience and heart and an ability to see power in opportunities and people rather than in ourselves. How do you catch a cold? How do you make disciples? And when things seem overwhelming, ambiguous, and when we doubt and are discouraged, as we move ahead at Mount Olivet to figure out what this call is all about for us as a church, we come back to the word, to water, to bread, and to wine, and within it the promise that Jesus meets us there. He's already present connecting us to others, to multiply, and to make his love and mercy wider and wider. Amen.